Chapter Five of the Chronicles of Count Antonio by Anthony Hope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Brett Downey. Count Antonio and the Sacred Bones. There is one tale concerning Count Antonio of Montevelluto when he dwelt an outlaw in the hills, which men tell with fear and doubt, marveling at the audacity of his act, and sometimes asking themselves whether he would, in very truth, have performed what he swore on the faith of his honor he would do, in the case the duke did not accede to his demands. For the thing he threatened was such as no man of Fermola dares think on without a shudder, for we of Fermola prize and reverence the bones of our saint, the holy martyr Prisian, above and far beyond every other relic, and they are to us as it were the sign and testimony of God's enduring favor to our country. But much will a man do for love of a woman, and Antonio's temper brooked no obstacle, so that I, who know all the truth of the matter, may not doubt that he would have done even as he said, braving the wrath of heaven, and making naught of the terror and consternation that had fallen on the city and parts round about it. Whether that thought of his heart was such as would gain pardon, I know not, had the thing been done, I could scarce hope even in heaven's infinite mercy. Yet this story also I must tell, lest I be charged with covering up what shames Antonio, for with the opinions of careless and faithless men, who are too many in this later age, I have no communion, and I tell the tale not to move laughter or loose jests, but rather that I may show to what extremity a man in nature good may be driven by harshness and the unmerited disfavor of his prince. In the third year, then, of Count Antonio's outlawry, his highness the duke looked on the lady lucia and found that she was of full age for marriage therefore he resolved that she should be wed and since robert de beauregard to whom he had purposed to give her was dead he chose from among his lords a certain gentleman of great estate and a favorite of his by name lorenzo and sent word to lucia that she should have spent too much of her youth pining for what could not be hers and must forthwith receive lorenzo for her husband but lucia being by now a woman and no more a timid girl, returned to his highness a message that she would look on no other man than Antonio. On this the duke, greatly incensed, sent and took her, and set her in a convent within the city walls, and made her know that there she should abide till her life's end, or until she should obey his command, and he charged the abbess to treat her harshly, and to break down her pride, and he swore that she should wed Lorenzo, or if she were obstinate, then she would take the vows of a nun in the convent, Many weeks the Lady Lucia abode in the convent, resisting all that was urged upon her. But at last, finding no help from Antonio, being sore beset and allowed no rest, she broke one day into passionate and pitiful weeping, and bade the abbess tell his highness that, since happiness was not for her in this world, she would seek to find it in heaven, and would take the vows, rending all her estate into the duke's hand, that he might have it, and give it to Lorenzo or to whom he would which message being told to duke valentine weary of contending with her and perchance secretly fearing that antonio would slay lorenzo as he had slain robert he cursed her for an obstinate wench and bade her take the vows and set a day for her to take them but her estate he assumed into his own hand and made from out of it a gift of great value to lorenzo and lorenzo they say was well content thus to be quit of the matter for said he while that devil is loose in the hills, no peace would there have been for the lady's husband. But when it came to the ears of Count Antonio that Lady Lucia was to take the veil on the morrow of the feast of St. Prisian, his rage and affliction knew no bounds. If need be, he cried, I will attack the city with all my men before I will suffer it. Your men would all be killed, and she would take the veil none the less, said Tomasino. 
for Antonio had but fifty men, and although they were stout fellows and impossible to subdue so long as they stayed in the hills, yet their strength would have been nothing against a fortress and the duke's array. Then, said Antonio, I will go alone and die alone. As he spoke, he perceived Martolo coming to him, and calling him, he asked him what he would. Now Martolo was a devout man, and had been much grieved when Antonio had fallen under a sentence of excommunication by reason of a certain quarrel that he had with the abbot of the Abbey of St. Prisian in the hills, wherein the Count had incurred the condemnation of the church, refusing, as his way was, to admit any rule save of his own conscience. Yet Martolo abode with Antonio from love of him. And now he bowed and answered, My lord, in three days it is the feast of St. Prisian, and the sacred bones will then be carried from the shrine in the church of the saint at Rilano to the city. For it was at Rilano that Prisian had suffered, and a rich church had been built on the spot. I remember that it is wont to be so, Martolo, answered the Count. When I dwelt with my father, said Martolo, I was accustomed to go forth with all the people of my village and meet the sacred bones, and kneeling, receive the benediction from the Lord Archbishop as he passed, bearing the bones in their golden casket, and the like I would do this year, my lord. But are you not excommunicated in company with Count Antonio and me? asked Tomasino, lightly smiling, for Tomasino also stood condemned. I pray not. I was not named in the sentence, said Martolo, signing the cross. Go in peace, Martolo, but see that you are not taken by the Duke's men, said Count Antonio. But few of them go with the Archbishop, my lord, for who would lay hands on the sacred bones? The guard is small, and I shall easily elude them. So Martolo departed, and told the man they called Benna what had passed. But Benna was a graceless fellow, and would not go with him. Now when Martolo was gone, Count Antonio sat down on a great stone, and for a long while he said nothing to Tomasino. But certain words out of those which Martolo had spoken were echoing through his brain, and he could not put them aside, for they came again and again and again, and at last, looking up at Tomasino, who stood by him, he said, Tomasino, who would lay hands on the sacred bones? Tomasino looked down into his eyes, then laid a hand on his shoulder, and Antonio still looked up and repeated, who would lay hands on the sacred bones? Tomasino's eyes grew round in wonder. He smiled, but his smile was uneasy, and he shifted his feet. Is it that you think of, Antonio? he asked in a low voice. Beside it, it would be a light thing to kill the duke in his own palace. Then Antonio cried, striking his fist on the palm of his hand. Are dead bones more sacred than a living soul on which the duke lays hands to force it to his will? The people reverence the bones as God himself, said Tomasino, troubled. I also reverence them, said Antonio, and fell again into thought. But presently he rose and took Tomasino's arm, and for a long while they walked to and fro. Then they went and sought out certain chosen men of the band, for the greater part they dared not trust in such a matter, but turned only to them that were boldest and wrecked least of sacred things. To ten of such Antonio opened his counsel, and by great rewards he prevailed on them to come into the plan, although they were, for all their boldness, sore afraid lest they, laying hands on the bones, should be smitten as he who touched the Ark of the Covenant. Therefore Antonio said, I alone will lay hands on the golden casket. The rest of you shall but hold me harmless while I take it. But if the Lord Archbishop will not let it go. The Lord Archbishop, said Tomasino, will let it go. For Tomasino did not love the Archbishop, because he would not remove the sentence of excommunication which he had laid upon Antonio and Tomasino on the prayer of the abbot of St. Prisian's. Now when the feast of St. Prisian was come, the Lord Archbishop, who had ridden from the city on the eve of the feast, and had lodged in the house of the priests that served the church, 
went with all his train into the church, and, the rest standing afar off and veiling their eyes, took from the wall of the church, near by the high altar, the golden casket that held the bones of the blessed St. Prision, and he wrapped the casket in a rich cloth, and held it high before him in his two hands, and when the people had worshipped, the archbishop left the church and entered his chair and passed through the village of Rolano, the priests and attendants going first, and twelve of the duke's guard, whom the duke had sent, following after. Great was the throng of folk, come from all the country round to gaze on the casket and the procession of the Lord Archbishop, and most devout of them all was Martolo, who rested on his knees from the moment the procession left the church till it was clear of the village, and Martolo was still on his knees when he beheld go by him a party of peasants, all save one, tall and powerful men, wearing peasants' garb and having their faces overshadowed by large hats. These men also had knelt as the casket passed, but they had risen and were marching shoulder to shoulder behind the men of the duke's guard, a peasant behind every pikeman. Martolo gazed long at them. Then he moistened his lips and crossed himself, murmuring, What does this thing mean? Now God forbid! And, breaking off thus, he also rose and went to the house of his father, sore vexed and troubled, to know what the thing might mean. But he spoke of it to none, no, not his father, observing the vow of secrecy in all matters which he had made to Count Antonio. At the bounds of the village the greater part of the people ceased to follow the procession of the sacred bones, and, having received the archbishop's blessing, turned back to their own homes, where they feasted and made merry. But the twelve peasants whom Martolo had seen followed the procession when it set forth for the next village, distant three miles on the road to Fermola. Their air manifested great devotion, for they walked with their heads bent on their breasts and downcast eyes, and they spoke not once on the way, but each kept close behind a pikeman. When the procession had gone something more than a mile from the village of Rolano, it came where a little stream crosses the highway, and the rains having been heavy for a week before, the stream was swollen and the ford deeper than it was wont to be. Therefore the officer of the guard, thinking of no danger, bade six of his men lay down their pikes and go lift the archbishop's chair over the ford, lest the archbishop should be wetted by the water. And on hearing this order, the tallest among the peasants put his hand up to his hat and twisted the feather of it between his thumb and his forefinger, and the shortest of them whispered, The sign! The sign! While every man of them drew a great dagger from under his habit and held it behind his back. Now by this time the priests and attendants had passed the ford, and one half of the guard had laid down their pikes and were gone to raise the archbishop's chair, the remainder standing at their ease, leaning on their pikes and talking to one another. Again the tallest peasant twisted the feather in his hat, and without speech or cry the peasants darted forward. Six of them seized the pikes that lay on the ground. The remaining six sprang like wildcats on the backs of the pikemen, circling the necks of the pikemen with their arms, pulling them back, and coming near to throttling them, so that the pikemen, utterly amazed and taken full at disadvantage, staggered and fell backwards, while the peasants got on top of them and knelt on their breasts and set the great daggers at their hearts. While this passed on the road, the remainder of Antonio's band, for such were the peasants, rushed into the stream and compelled the unarmed pikemen to set down the archbishop's chair in the midst, so that the water came in at the windows of the chair, and the pikemen, held at bay with their own pikes, sought to draw their poniards, but Antonio cried, Slay any that draw! And he came to the chair, and opened the door of it, and using as little force as he might, he laid hands on the casket that held the sacred bones, and wrested it from the feeble hands of the archbishop. Then he and his men, standing in line, stepped backwards, with the pikes leveled in front of them, till they came out of the water and on to the dry road again. And one pikeman rushed at Antonio, but Tomasino, sparing to kill him, 
caught him a buffet on the side of his head with a pike, and he fell like a log in the water, and had been drowned, but that two of his comrades lifted him. Then all twelve of the band, being together, for the first six had risen now from off the six pikemen, having forced them, on pain of instant death, to deliver over their pikes to them, Antonio, with the casket in his hands, spoke in a loud voice, I thank God that no man is dead over this business, but if you resist, you shall die, one and all. Go to the city, tell the duke that I, Antonio of Montevelluto, have the bones of the blessed St. Prision, and carry them with me to my hiding-place in the highest parts of the hills. But if he will swear by these bones that I hold, and by his princely word, that he will not suffer the Lady Lucia to take the vows, nor will constrain her to wed any man, but will restore her to her own house and to her estate, then let him send the archbishop again, and I will deliver up the sacred bones. But if he will not swear, then, as God lives, to-morrow, at midnight, I will cause a great fire to be kindled on top of the hills, a fire whose flame you shall see from the walls of the city, and in that fire I will consume the sacred bones, and I will scatter the ashes of them to the four winds. Go, and bear the message that I give you to the duke. And having thus said, Antonio, with his men, turned and went back at a run along the road by which they had come. But to the village of Rolano they did not go, but turned aside before they came to it, and, coming to the farm of one who knew Antonio, they bought of him, paying him in good coin of the duchy, three horses, which Antonio, Tomasino, and Benna mounted, and they three rode hard for the hills, the rest following as quickly as they might, so that by nightfall they were all safely assembled in their hiding-place, and with them the bones of the blessed St. Prision. But they told not yet to the rest of the band what it was that Antonio carried under his cloak, nor did Martolo, when he returned from Rolano, ask what had befallen, but he crossed himself many times, and wore a fearful look. But Tomasino came to Antonio, and said to him, Why did you not ask also pardon for all of us, and for yourself, the hand of Lucia? A great thing, and a thing that troubles me, I have done already, answered Antonio. Therefore I will ask nothing for myself, and nothing may I ask for you or for my friends. But if I ask nothing save that right and justice be done, it may be that my sin in laying hands on the sacred bones will be the less. Now after Antonio and his men were gone, the archbishop's train stayed long by the stream on the road, lamenting and fearing to go forward. Yet at last they went forward, and being come to the next village, found all the people awaiting them at the bounds. And when the people saw the disorder of the procession, and that the pikemen had no pikes, they ran forward, eagerly asking what had befallen. And learning of the calamity, they were greatly afraid, and cursed Antonio, and many of them accompanied the archbishop on his way to the city, whence he came towards evening. A great concourse of people awaited his coming there, and the duke himself sat on a lofty seat in the great square, prepared to receive the sacred bones and go with them to the cathedral, where they were to be exposed to the gaze of all the people at high mass. And they set the archbishop's chair down before the duke's seat, and the archbishop came and stood before the duke, and his priest and the pikemen with him. And the duke started up from his seat, crying, What ails you? and sank back again, and sat waiting to hear what the archbishop should say. Then the archbishop, his robe still damp and greatly disordered, his limbs trembling in anger and in fear, raised his voice, and all the multitude in the square was silent while he declared to his highness what things Count Antonio had done, and rehearsed the message that he had sent. But when the archbishop told how Antonio had sworn that as God lived, he would scatter the ashes of the sacred bones to the winds, the men caught their breath with a gasp, while the women murmured affrightedly, Christ save us! And Duke Valentine dug the nails of his hand, whereon his head rested, into the flesh of his cheek, for all the city held that, according to the words St. Prision himself had uttered before he suffered, 
the power and prosperity of the duchy and the favor of heaven to it rested on the presence among them and the faithful preservation and veneration of those most holy relics and the archbishop having ended the message cried god pardon my lips that repeat such words and fell on his knees before duke valentine crying justice on him my lord justice and many in the throng echoed his cry but others and among them a great part of the prentice lads who loved antonio muttered low one to another but the duke has taken his sweetheart from him and they looked on the duke with no favorable eye then duke valentine rose from his seat and stood on the topmost step that led to it and he called sundry of his lords and officers round him and then he beckoned for silence and he said before the sun sets to-morrow the lady lucia shall take the vows and he with his train took their way to the palace the pikemen clearing a path for them and now indeed was silence for all marvelled and were struck dumb that the duke said not concerning the bones of st prision and they searched one another's faces for the meaning of his words but the archbishop arose and speaking to no man went to the cathedral and knelt before the altar in the chapel of st prision and there abode on his knees surely never from that day until this hour as such a night passed in the city of Fermola, for the duke sent orders that every man of his guard should be ready to start at break of day in pursuit of Antonio, and through the hours of the evening they were busied in preparing their provisions and accoutrements. But their looks were heavy and their tongues tied, for they knew, every man of them, that though the duke might at the end take Antonio, yet he could not come at him before the time that Antonio had said. And this the townsmen knew well also, and they gathered themselves in groups in the great square, saying, before the duke comes at him the sacred bones will be burnt and what will then befall the duchy and those who were friendly to antonio foremost among them being the apprenticed lads spread themselves here and there among the people asking cunningly whether it concerned the people of fermola more that the blessing of st prision should abide with them or that a reluctant maiden should be forced to the vale and some grew bold to whisper under their breath that the business was a foul one and that heaven did not send beauty and love that priests should bury them in convent walls and the girls of the city, ever most bold by reason of their helplessness, stirred up the young men who courted them, leading them on, saying, He is a true lover who risks his soul for his love. Or, I would I had one who would steal the bones of St. Prision for my sake, but none such have I. With other stirring and inflaming taunts, recklessly flung from pouting lips and from under eyes that challenged. And all the while Duke Valentine sat alone in his cabinet, listening to the tumult that sounded with muffled din through the walls of the palace. Now there was in the city a certain furrier by name Peter, a turbulent fellow who had been put out of his craft guild because he would not abide by the laws of the craft, and lived now as best he could, being maintained in large measure by those who listened to his empty and seditious conversation. This man, loving not that there was worthy of love in Count Antonio, yet loved him because he defied the duke, and about midnight, having drunk much wine, he came into the square and gathered together the apprentices, saying, I have a matter to say to you, and to you, and to you, till there were many scores of them round him, and he harangued them, and more came round, and when at last Peter cried, Give us back the sacred bones! A thousand voices answered him, Aye, give us back the bones! And when the pikemen would have seized him, men, and women also, made a ring round him, so that he could not be taken, and sober men also, of age and substance, hearkened to him, saying, He is a knave, but he speaks truth now so that a very great throng assembled every man having a staff and many also knives and to those that had not knives the women and girls brought them thrusting them into their hands nay sundry priests also were among the people moaning and wringing their hands and saying that the favour of saint prision would be lost for ever to the city and the square was thronged so that a man could not move unless all moved 
nor raise his hand to his head save for the favor of his neighbor. Yet presently the whole mass began to move, like a great wave of water towards the palace of the duke, where the pikemen stood in ranks, ready now to go against Antonio. Suddenly arose a cry, The archbishop comes! And the venerable man was seen, led through the crowd by Peter and some more, who brought him and set him in the front ranks of the people, and Peter cried boldly, Where is the duke? But the captain of the guard came forward, sword in hand, and bade Peter be still, cursing him for his insolence, and shouted that the people should disperse on pain of his highness's displeasure. "'Where is the duke? Let him come out to us!' cried Peter, and the captain, despising him, struck him lightly with the flat of his sword. But Peter, with a cry of rage, struck the captain a great blow with his staff, and the captain staggered back, blood flowing from his head. Such was the beginning of the fray, for in an instant the pikemen and the people had joined battle. Men cried in anger, and women in fright. Blood flowed, and sundry on both sides fell and rose no more. And the archbishop came near to being trodden underfoot, till his friends and the priest gathered round him. And when he saw that men were being slain, he wept. Then the Lord Lorenzo hastened to the cabinet of the duke, whom he found pacing up and down, gnawing his fingernails, and told him of what was done outside. "'I care not,' said the duke. "'She shall take the vows. Let the pikemen scatter them.' Lorenzo then besought him, telling him that all the city was in arms, and that the conflict would be great. But the duke said still, "'She shall take the vows.' Nevertheless, he went with Lorenzo, and came forth on to the topmost step of the portico. And when the people saw him, they ceased for a moment to assail the pikemen, and cried out, "'Give us back the sacred bones!' "'Scatter these fellows,' said the duke to the captain of the guard. "'My lord, they are too many, and if we scatter them now, yet when we have gone against Count Antonio, they may do what they will with the city.' The duke stood still, pale, and again gnawing his nails, and the pikemen, finding the fight hard, gave back before the people, and the people pressed on. Then Peter the furrier came forward, and the hottest with him, and mocked the pikemen, and one of the pikemen suddenly thrust Peter through with his pike, and the fellow fell dead, on which a great cry of rage rose from all the people, and they rushed on the pikemen again, and slew and were slain, and the fight rolled up the steps even to the very feet of the duke himself. And at last, able no longer to contend with all the city, he cried, Hold! I will restore the sacred bones. But the people would not trust him, and one cried, Bring out the lady here before us, and set her free, or we will burn the palace. And the archbishop came suddenly and threw himself on his knees before the duke, beseeching him that no more blood might be shed, but that the lady Lucia should be set free. And the duke, now greatly afraid, sent hastily the lieutenant of the guard and ten men, who came to the convent where Lucia was, and, brooking no delay, carried her with them in her bedgown, and brought and set her beside the duke in the portico of the palace. Then the duke raised his hand to heaven, and before all the people he said, Behold, she is free. Let her go to her own house, and her estate shall be hers again. And, by my princely word and these same holy bones, I swear that she shall not take the vows. Neither will I constrain her to wed any man. And when he had said this, he turned sharply round on his heel, and, looking neither to the right nor to the left, went through the great hall to his cabinet and shut the door, for his heart was very sore that he must yield to Antonio's demand, and for himself he had rather a thousand times that the bones of St. Prision had been burnt. Now when the duke was gone, the people brought the Lady Lucia to her own house, driving out the steward whom the duke had set there, and, this done, they came to the archbishop, and would not suffer him to rest or to delay one hour before he set forth to carry the duke's promise to Antonio. This the archbishop was ready to do, 
for all that he was weary. But first he sent Lorenzo to ask the duke's pleasure, and Lorenzo, coming to the duke, prayed him to send two hundred pikes with the archbishop. For, said he, your highness has sworn nothing concerning what shall befall Antonio, and so soon as he has delivered up the bones, I will set on him and bring him alive or dead to your highness. But the duke would not hearken. The fellow's name is like stale lees of wine in my mouth, said he. Ten of my pikemen lie dead in the square, and more of the citizens. I will lose no more men over it. Yet how great a thing if we could take him! I will take him at my own time and in my own way, said the duke. In God's name, leave me now. Lorenzo, therefore, got from the duke leave for but ten men to go with the archbishop, and to go himself if he would. And thus they set out, exhorted by the people, who followed them beyond the bounds of the city to make all speed. And when they were gone, the people came back and took up the bodies of the dead, while the pikemen also took up the bodies of such of their comrades as were slain. Yet had Duke Valentine known what passed on the hills while the city was in tumult, it may not be doubted, for all his vexation, that he would have sent the two hundred whom Lorenzo asked. Never had he a fairer chance to take Antonio. For when the Count and those who had been with him to Rilano were asleep, Antonio's head resting on the golden casket, a shepherd came to the rest of the band and told them what had been done and how all the country was in an uproar. Then a debate arose amongst the band, for though they were lawless men, yet they feared God, and thought with great dread on what Antonio had sworn, so that presently they came all together, and aroused Antonio, and said to him, My lord, you have done much for us, and it may be that we have done somewhat for you, but we will not suffer the sacred bones to be burnt and scattered to the winds. Except the duke yields, I have sworn it, as God lives, answered Antonio. We care not, it shall not be. No, not though you and we die, said they. It is well, I hear, said Antonio, bowing his head. In an hour, said they, we will take the bones, if you will not yourself, my lord, send them back. Again, I hear, said Antonio, bowing his head, and the band went back to the fire round which they had been sitting, all save Martolo, who came and put his hand in Antonio's hand. How now, Martolo? asked Antonio. What you will, I will, my lord, said Martolo, for though he trembled when he thought of the bones of St. Prision, yet he clung always to Antonio. As for Benna and the others of the ten who had gone to Rilano, they would now have burnt not the bones only, but the blessed saint himself, had Antonio bidden them. Hard men, in truth, were they, and the more reckless now, because no harm had come to them from the seizing of the bones. Moreover, Antonio had given them good wine for supper, and they drank well. Now the rest of the band, being gone back to their fire, and the night being very dark, in great silence and caution Antonio, Tomasino, Martolo, Benna, and their fellows, being thirteen in all, rose from their places, and taking naught with them but their swords, save that Antonio carried the golden casket, they stole forth from the camp, and set their faces to climb yet higher into the heights of the hills. None spoke, one following another. They climbed the steep path that led up the mountain side, and when they had been going for the space of an hour, they heard a shout from far below them. "'Our flight is known,' said Tomasino. "'Shall we stand and meet them, my lord?' asked Benna. "'Nay, not yet,' said Antonio, and the thirteen went forward again, at the best speed they could. Now they were in a deep gorge between lofty cliffs, and the gorge still tended upwards, and, at length, they came to the place which is now named Antonio's Neck. There the rocks came nigh to meeting, and utterly barring the path, yet there is a way that one man, or at most two, may pass through at one time. Along this narrow tongue they passed, and coming to the other side, 
found a level space on the edge of a great precipice, and Antonio, pointing over the precipice, they saw in the light of the day, which was now dawning, the towers and spires of Fermola very far away in the plain below. "'It is a better place for the fire than the other,' said Antonio, and Benna laughed, while Martolo shivered. "'Yet we risk being hindered by these fellows behind,' said Tomasino. "'Nay, I think not,' said Antonio. Then he charged Tomasino and all of them to busy themselves in collecting such dry sticks and brushwood as they could, and there was abundance near, for the fir-trees grew even so high. And one of the men also went and set a snare, and presently caught a wild goat, so that they had meat. But Antonio took Benna and set him on one side of the way where the neck opened out into the level space, and he stood on the other side of the way himself, and when they stretched out their arms, the point of Benna's sword reached the hilt of Antonio's. And Antonio smiled, saying to Benna, He had need to be a thin man, Benna, that passes between you and me. And Benna nodded his head at Count Antonio, answering, Indeed, this is as straight as the way to heaven, my lord, and leads, as it seems to me, in much the same direction. Thus Antonio and Benna waited in the shelter of the rocks at the opening of the neck, while the rest built up a great pile of wood. Then, having roasted the meat, they made their breakfast, Martolo carrying portions to Antonio and to Benna and, their pursuers not knowing the path so well, and therefore moving less quickly, it was but three hours short of noon when they heard the voices of men from the other side of the neck, and Antonio cried straightway, "'Come not through at your peril! Yet one may come and speak with me!' Then a great fellow, whose name is variously given, though most of those whom I have questioned call him Sancho, came through the neck, and reaching the end of it, found the cross-swords of Antonio and Benna, like a fence against his breast.' and he saw also the great pile of wood, and resting now on the top of it the golden casket that held the sacred bones. And he said to Antonio, My lord, we love you, but sooner than that the bones should be burnt, we will kill you and all that are with you. But Antonio answered, I also love you, Sancho, yet you and all your company shall die sooner than my oath shall be broken. Your soul shall answer for it, my lord, said Sancho. You speak truly, answered Antonio. Then Sancho went back through the neck and took counsel with his fellows, and they made him their chief, and promised to be obedient to all that he ordered, and he said, Let two run at their highest speed through the neck. It may be that they will die, but the bones must be saved, and after them two more, and again two, and I will be of the first two. But they would not suffer him to be of the first two, although he prevailed that he should be of the last two. And the six, being chosen, drew their swords, and with a cry rushed into the neck, Antonio, hearing their feet, said to Benna, A quick blow is as good as a slow, Benna. And even as he spoke, the first two came to the opening of the neck. But Antonio and Benna struck at them before they came out of the narrowest part, or could wield their swords freely. And the second two coming on, Benna struck at one and wounded him in the breast, and he wounded Benna in the face over the right eye, and then Benna slew him, while Antonio slew his man at his first stroke and the fifth man, and Sancho, the sixth, coming on, Antonio cried loudly, "'Are you mad? Are you mad? We could hold the neck against a hundred. But they would not stop, and Antonio slew the fifth, and Benna was in the act to strike at Sancho, but Antonio suddenly dashed Sancho's sword from his hand, and caught him a mighty buffet, so that he fell sprawling on the bodies of the five that were dead. "'Go back, fool, go back!' cried Antonio. And Sancho, answering nothing, gathered himself up and went back, for he perceived now that not with the loss of half his men would he get by Antonio and Benna, and beyond them stood Tomasino, 
with ten whom he knew to be of the stoutest of the band. "'It is a sore day's work, Benna,' cried Antonio, looking at the dead bodies. "'If a man be too great a fool to keep himself alive, my lord, he must die,' answered Benna, and he pushed the bodies a little further back into the neck with his foot. Then Sancho's company took counsel again, for, much as they reverenced the sacred bones, there was none of them eager to enter the neck. Thus they were at a loss, till the shepherd, who had come along with them, spoke to Sancho, saying, "'At the cost of a long journey you may come at him, for there is a way round that I can lead you by, but you will not traverse it in less than twelve or thirteen hours, taking necessary rest by the way.' But Sancho, counting the time, cried, "'It will serve, for although a thousand came against him, yet the Count will not burn the bones before the time of his oath. Therefore he left fifteen men to hold the neck, in case Antonio should offer to return back through it, and with the rest he followed the shepherd in great stealth and quiet, by reason of which, and of the rock between them, Antonio knew not what was done, but thought that the whole company lay still on the other side of the rock. Thus the day wore to evening, as the archbishop with the lord Lorenzo and the guards came to the spur of the hills. Here they found a man waiting, who cried to them, "'Do you bring the duke's promise to the Count Antonio?' "'Yes, we bring it,' said they. "'I am charged,' said he, "'to lead the archbishop and one other after the count.' But since the archbishop could not climb the hills, being old and weary, Lorenzo constrained the man to take with him four of the guards besides, and the four bore the archbishop along. Thus they were led through the secret tracks in the hills, and these Lorenzo tried to engrave on his memory that he might come again, but the way was long and devious, and it was hard to mark it. Thus going, they came to the huts, and passing the huts, still climbed wearily till they arrived near to the neck. It was then night, and as they guessed, hard on the time when Antonio had sworn to burn the sacred bones, therefore they pressed on more and more, and came at last to the entrance of the neck. Here they found the fifteen, and Lorenzo, running up, cried aloud, "'We bring the promise! We bring the promise!' But scarcely had he spoken these words, when a sudden great shout came from the other side of the neck, and Lorenzo, drawing his sword, rushed into the neck, the fifteen following, yet leaving a space between him and them, lest they should see him fall, pierced by Antonio and Benna. And Lorenzo stumbled, and fell over the five dead bodies which lay in the way of the neck. Uttering a cry, "'What are these?' he scrambled again to his feet, and passed unhurt through the mouth of the neck, and the fifteen followed after him, while the guards supported the archbishop in their hands, his chair being too wide to pass through the neck. And when thus they all came through, wild and strange was the sight they saw, for it chanced that at the same time Sancho's company had completed their circuit, and had burst from behind upon Antonio and the twelve, and when the twelve saw them they retreated to the great pile and made a ring round it, and stood there ready to die rather than to allow Sancho's men to reach the pile. It was then midnight, and the time of Count Antonio's oath. Count Antonio stood on the top of the great pile. At his feet lay the golden casket containing the sacred bones, and in his hand was a torch, and he cried aloud, "'Hold them while I fire the pile!' And he leaped down, and came to the side of the pile, and laid his torch to the pile. And in an instant the flames shot up, for the pile was dry. Now when Sancho's men saw the pile alight, with shouts of horror and of terror they charged at the top of their speed against the twelve who guarded the pile. And Lorenzo and his men also rushed, but the cries of Sancho's company, together with the answering defiance of the twelve, drowned the cries of Lorenzo and Antonio and the twelve knew not that Lorenzo was come. And the flames of the pile grew, and the highest tongue of flame licked the side of the golden casket. But Antonio's voice rose above all, as he stood, aye, almost within the ambit of the fire, and cried, 
Hold them a moment, Tomasino. A moment, Benna, and the thing is done. Then Lorenzo tore his cask from his head and flung down his sword, and rushed unarmed between Antonio's men and Sancho's men, shouting louder than he had thought ever to shout, The promise! The promise! And at the same moment, so it is told, I but tell it as it is told. There came from heaven a great flash of lightning, which, aiding the glare of the flames, fully revealed the features of Lorenzo. Back fell Sancho's men, and Antonio's arrested their swords. And then they all cried as men cry in great joy, The promise! The promise! And for a moment all stood still where they were. But the flames leaped higher, and, as Antonio had said, they were seen by the great throng that gazed from the city walls, and they were seen by the Duke Valentine as he watched from the wall of his garden by the river, and he went pale, gnawing his nails. Then the Count Antonio sprang on the burning pile, and though it seemed that no man could pass alive through it, yet God was with him, and he gained the top of it, and, stooping, seized the golden casket and flung it down clear of the pile, even at the Lord Lorenzo's feet, and when Lorenzo sought to lift it, the heat of it blistered his hands, and he cried out with pain. But Count Antonio, choked by the smoke, his hair and his eyebrows scorched by the fire, staggered halfway down the pile, and there sank on his knees. And there he had died, but that Tomasino, Benna, and Sancho, each eager to outstrip the other, rushed in and drew him forth, and fetched water and gave it to him, so that he breathed again and lived. But the flames leaped higher and higher, and they said on the city walls, God help us! God help us! The sacred bones are burnt! And women, ay, and men too, fell to weeping, and there was great sorrow, fear, and desolation. And the duke gnawed his nails even to the quick, and spat the blood from his mouth, cursing Antonio. But Lorenzo, having perceived that the greater number was against Antonio, cried out to Sancho's men, Seize him and bring him here! For the duke's promise carried no safety to Antonio. But Sancho answered him, now that the sacred bones are safe, we have no quarrel with my lord Antonio. And he and his men went and laid down their swords by the feet of Antonio, where he lay on the ground, his head on Tomasino's lap, so that the whole band were now round Antonio, and Lorenzo had but four with him. He asks war, growled Benna to Tomasino. Shall he not have war, my lord? And Tomasino laughed, answering, Here is a drunkard of blood. But Count Antonio, raising himself, said, Is the archbishop here? Then Lorenzo went and brought the archbishop, who, coming, stood before Antonio and rehearsed to him the oath that Duke Valentine had taken, and told him how the Lady Lucia was already free and in her own house, and made him aware also of the great tumult that had happened in the city, and Antonio listened to his tale in silence. Then the archbishop raised a hand towards heaven and spoke in a solemn and sad voice, Behold, there are ten of the duke's guard dead in the city, and there are twelve of the townsmen dead, and here, in the opening of the neck, there lie dead five men of those who followed you, my lord. Twenty and seven men are there that have died over this business. I pray more have not died in the city since I set forth. And for what has this been done, my lord? And more than the death of all these is there, for these sacred bones have been foully and irreligiously stolen and carried away, used with vile irreverence, and brought into imminent hazard of utter destruction. And had they been destroyed and their ashes scattered to the four winds, according to your blasphemous oath, I know not what would have befallen the country where such an act was done. And for what has this been done, my lord? It has been done that a proud and violent man may have his will, and that his passion may be satisfied. Heavy indeed is the burden on your soul, my lord. Yes, on your soul is the weight of sacrilege and of much blood. The archbishop ceased, and his hand dropped to his side. The flames on the pile were burning low, and a stillness fell on all the company. 
But at last Count Antonio rose to his feet and stood with his elbow on Tommasino's shoulder, leaning on Tommasino. His face was weary and sad, and he was very pale, save where in one spot the flame had scorched his cheek to an angry red. In looking round on the Archbishop, and on the Lord Lorenzo, and on them all, he answered sadly, In truth, my Lord Archbishop, my burden is heavy, for I am an outlaw and excommunicated. Twenty and seven men have died through my act, and I have used the sacred bones foully, and brought them into imminent peril of total destruction, according to my oath. All this is true, my lord, and yet I know not. For Almighty God, whom all we, whether honest men or knaves, men of law or lawless, humbly worship, Almighty God has his own scales, my lord, and I know not which thing be in those scales the heavier, that twenty and seven men should die, and that the bones of the blessed St. Prision should be brought in peril, aye, or should be utterly destroyed, or again that one weak girl, who has no protection save in the justice and pity of men, should be denied justice, and bereft of pity, and that no man should hearken to her weeping. Say, my lord, for it is yours to teach and mine to learn, which of these things should God count the greater sin? And for myself I have asked nothing, and for my friends here, whom I love, yes, even those I have killed for my oath's sake, I loved, I have dared to ask nothing, but I ask only that justice should be done, and mercy regarded. Where, my lord, is the greater sin? But the archbishop answered not a word to Count Antonio, but he and the Lord Lorenzo came and lifted the golden casket, and, no man of Antonio's company seeking to hinder them, they went back with it to the city, and showed it to the people, and after that the people had rejoiced greatly that the sacred bones, which they had thought to be destroyed, were safe. The archbishop carried the golden casket back to the shrine in the village of Rolano, where it rests till this day. But Count Antonio buried the five men of his band whom he and Benna had slain, and with the rest he abode still in the hills, while the Lady Lucia dwelt in her own house in the city, and the Duke, honouring the oath which he had sworn before all the people, did not seek to constrain her to wed any man, and restored to her the estate that he had taken from her. Yet the Duke hated Count Antonio the more for what he had done, and sought the more eagerly how he might take him and put him to death. End of chapter. Recording by Brett Downey.